Welcome back to the third and final part in the concluding programme, a tribute to the singing fireman, John O'Shea. Well, earlier, Timo Reardon of Natural Gas spoke about how generous John O'Shea was in providing other singers and musicians with songs and verses of songs that were unknown to them. Tim was often a recipient of John's generosity, but the singing fireman was also generous in his praise and encouragement of Tim's songwriting ability and talent. Especially a song called Dear Old City, you know, and I had doubts about that song. And uh, but when he heard it, he told me that I had something there and to go and record it. And he was he uh, he used to sing it himself, and uh, he, he pushed it a bit for me, you know. <laughs> yeah, you um, can actually in the recorded version of the song, uh, he's singing in the chorus, and like you can hear his distinctive voice just uh, clearly in the recording, you know. He was passionate about songs about Cork City, but particularly songs about his native Northside. He was, you know. And, uh, like, I think there should be great credit due to him for collecting all those songs, you know. Songs like The Crappy Boy and Lord George, The Armored Car, The Boys of Fair Hill. He claims a direct relationship to The Boys of Fair Hill. And in his book, uh, The Red City, there's a fantastic photograph of what he calls the original Boys of Fair Hill. You've read the book, obviously. I have, and I read it again there lately. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful memoir and it's, it's a book to be treasured. And I think it's a book that should be brought back into print again. It, it tells about a time in Cork that's forgotten by a lot of people now. And he talks about his young childhood, being a young boy, moving from the Marsh area up to Granabraher and the neighbourliness and, and the friends that went up there and talks about very shrewdly that the people who were moving the people from the, the Marsh area up there kept all the neighbours together in a row and he felt that was really important and he talks about all the doors being opened he, he talks about whistling <laughs> that every every guy every man had a different whistle so that was his way of approaching a house you know and people would recognise people different people by their whistle <laughs> of course in those days and it, it came up on the programme last week how close to the country the city was at that time so a lot of people who would live in the city ended up working for farmers and he did Yes, he worked for farmers. He he didn't hold them in in high respect <laughs> in his book. Uh, he worked for a couple of mean farmers, and uh, he he doesn't have great fond memories of that. But he worked in other jobs around Cork City as well, working for butchers and doing odd jobs for different uh, different tradesmen around the city as well. And he talks very fondly of that, and uh, and working in the lanes as well, delivering meat and stuff, you know. refused me anyway John I mean I did and I, I imposed on him many times and like academically for the column that I do in the echo background to songs and she's I used to and I, I say I was a torment like you know like I always am looking for songs because I just go for it like and I won't give up <laughs> and John John was well used to me my tenacity you know yeah, yeah. so I was very fond of him
your time, old mule, I know your broken lane. But we'll pasture in the stars when we find that place. And we'll sit out there and watch the world roll by. When we find that long lost old man. beautiful song, sung really beautifully by the singing fireman called Goldmine in the Sky, and Jimmy Crowley before that. Well, John O'Shea didn't limit his appearances on stage to Cork City and County. He was more than willing to expand elsewhere when the opportunity arose. One such opportunity came about for the newly formed Trimbath Lane Pigeon Club Singers, and his son Tony says that this group couldn't have had a bigger stage than the Rose of Tralee Festival. A few of the lads went to the, down to the Rose, Rose of Tralee Festival and my father had a guitar with him and they were playing in a pub and they were singing in a pub just a sing-song and this guy that was part of the organising committee for the for the Rose of Tralee con- competition itself asked them would they perform in the dome just for a half an hour and they said right okay like, but he said you would have to have an aim you know um, the first thing that came to my father's mind was it was a pigeon club in Cork Hall the Trimbats Lane Pigeon Club. So he said, right, we call ourselves the Trimbat Lane Pigeon Club Singers. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? And they performed for 15 years after that, every year. At the Rosa Trillium. At the Rosa Trillium. Yeah. Um, and then it just fizzled up. But that's what they went as, you know, Trimbats Lane Pigeon Club Singers. And yeah. um, so he was very proud of that name. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I suppose if I was to pick the hobbies of people from the north side, bowling, dogs, hunting, yeah. opera... 
and pigeons. Pigeons, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right, yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, there's a, there's a documentary. Um, uh, he he recorded a documentary. Cornell Creedon um, was the the man looking after it. And there's a clip in it of the, in doc, that documentary about a pigeon fancier from the north side. His name escapes me, you know, but um, there's a couple of good stories about it. You know, there's one that um, this this guy came over to to the um, the pigeon loft from England to buy this prize pigeon and um they did a deal anyway and your man gave him gave this man a, a, a brown cardboard box to bring the pigeon back to england but he put a bit of wet sawdust in the end of the, the box and this guy got the innis felon back and he was halfway across and the pigeon fell out of the the, the box because it was damp yeah because it was damp yeah and um but sure the pigeon flew, flew back home and he was back in the loft again within the hour and <laughs> <laughs> If I, will, if I was left with an empty box anyway when he got back to England. <laughs> Past his 80th year, John was still performing in style on stage, but close friends and family will always notice changes in one's health. John White mentioned to me that he felt that John, using a cork phrase, had gone into himself, and Sean O'Shea had noticed a change in his great friend as well. I used to call to him and I began to notice that he didn't look that well you know John always had a very healthy look about him and uh, he he got pale and a bit wan looking you know and uh, then towards the very end his voice his speaking voice got a bit weak he had difficulty remembering single words and getting out single words no difficulty in remembering but you'd know he was struggling to find a word uh, which wouldn't come to him I suppose these were all signs but nevertheless like um, the end then there was a kind of a, of a sudden decline I think he went into to hospital and I think while while his son Tony will clarify this I'm sure I think while he was there that he caught a flu virus or something and it, it swiped him straight away you know To Sean O'Shea and uh, John White, I asked them when did they notice that your father's health was beginning to fail, and they each uh, remembered it differently. But I suppose really it began when Patsy, his yeah. wife, your mother, yeah. passed away. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he took that very hard, you know, because as I said to you, they were very close, and she actually went in for a, a valve operation in her heart, and she never came out of it. She, she was supposed to be, you know, 100% after it, but things went wrong. But that was such a shock to him that he was just he was a changed man that time but he got on with it and we, we all thought that he was after kind of getting over it like but then I noticed his speech was starting to, starting to slur he was getting you know forgetful and then he went slowly downhill but he was still fairly physically okay you know um, he went, actually went to mass on the Monday before he died he died on a Thursday, Thursday but he went to mass drove to mass himself but he eventually got pneumonia and he, he picked up the flu in the hospital and he was gone within a couple of hours
you spoke to me in the past about how you dealt with the, the death of Sean O'Reilly. Yeah. And this would be up there. Something with, similar. Yeah. yeah. There are two people who had a huge influence on me. Obviously, Sean O'Reilly, I'd never be heard of, only for that man. And we were very close personal friends. Likewise, John O'Shea, our friendship, I would hope he would agree if he were alive, went far beyond a kind of a friendship of a person that you'd meet for to do concerts. It was quite easy to detect the emotion in people's voices when asked to speak about the passing of the singing fireman. I usually feel uncomfortable speaking nicely about anybody after their passing, as I believe it should be done while they are still with us, but often our busy lives don't allow us to do so. Tim O'Reardon says that it's difficult to sum up John O'Shea or John R. in just a few words. I'd say that whatever part of us that's kind of responsible for goodness and for joy and for the giving of ourselves, uh, John O'Rochea had that part of him in abundance. And as well as that, he had, he, had a, he had a great social conscience. And like from talking to him, it kind of hurt and annoyed him to see other people suffering as well. There was a great humanity in the man. And uh, he was just one beautiful human being. My sincere thanks to Mary Ring for suggesting this programme in the first place. Thanks to everybody who took part so willingly. I never met John R., but these programmes have made me regret hugely not having done so. My thanks to you for joining us. We leave the last few words to Tony O'Shea to speak about his father and the last few bars of a song to the singing fireman himself. We hope he and Patsy are resting peacefully in heaven. From everybody on Where the Road Takes Me and myself, John Green, have a very good evening. I'm very proud of him. Uh, like he showed me, you know, parts of the, of, especially of the music, music industry or the music game. Introduced me to a lot of people. Gave me a lot of literature and songs. You know, obviously being being my father, he showed me other things like outside the music. But the fire brigade was a big part of it too. You know, he steered me in the right direction there. And I'd always remember him for that. You know, and I'll keep his spirit alive, his music alive, as long as I can do it. I'm sure that people will remember him when they hear this program. They remember him when he was singing in their area because he travelled all over the country. And um, as I said, like, as long as I'm here, I'll, I'll keep his music alive. And when you'll hear the shave, I say, Jimmy Delaney won today. He'll walk a mile, says the boys of Fair Hill. So come, boys, and you'll see, lads and lattes full of glee. Famous for all, sure they'd make your heart thrill. For the boys, they won't harm you. The girls, they will charm you. Here's up the miles and the boys of Fairfield. For the Rockies thought that they were stars till they met the same thing bar. Here's up the miles and the boys of Fairfield. And the black bull hens don't lay at all when they lay, they lay them small. Here's up the miles and the boys of Fairfield.